It is such a delight to be here, to be back with you all after the sabbatical. I am just thrilled with the way our staff led and preached through this difficult time. I especially enjoyed Dave had a story time uh, a couple weeks ago, and so I wanted to have a story time today. So at the end, I want all the kids to know that there's a story coming, a story I wrote that I want to tell at the end of this service. Before we get into the text, um, just to to be obedient to the Lord, I, I want to do something. If you are at home and you are experiencing symptoms, um, either coronavirus symptoms of fever, cough, hard to breathe, or you are experiencing other types of disease, virus, pain, um, I would like you to just open your hands right now. We call this the receive position. And I, I really, this, this is not where we do something. This is where Jesus does something. So I just want you to relax and just open your arms like this in childlike faith right now. I just want to pray a very brief prayer for you. Lord, you do not catch our leprosy. We catch your healing. You are a healer. And wherever you went, healing went. So Jesus, right now, would you go into each room? You know what every single person is dealing with. And right now, just release that healing presence. Just receive that. Be healed. Be healed in Jesus' name. I curse sickness and disease and viruses. I curse them right now in Jesus' name. Go. Let healing come and let disease go in Jesus' name. And then, Lord, on top of that, I pray for any fear that this has created. Lord, in Jesus' name, I break fear. I stand against fear. We stand against fear in every single life in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I pray for anybody that, that is, is, is just struggling with this, this wave of the future Lord, our future is healing, not disease. Our identity is healing because you're a healer. You're a healer, so we're the healed. We accept our identity. We agree with our identity. And Lord, we uh, establish ourselves in that identity in Jesus' mighty name. Now, Father, would you please strengthen all of our medical workers, all of our doctors, all of those that are are laboring for us and for those that are sick all here and all over this world. Lord, would you lift them up? Would you strengthen them? Would you give them help? Would you protect them from catching the diseases that they are ministering to? Father, in Jesus' mighty name, would you release your wisdom and revelation to our scientists and our pharma, uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies that are all working on this virus. Release revelation. We need your help. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for our president. Thank you for giving him courage in this time. Thank you for giving him wisdom. Lord, you've surrounded him with a team. Lord, help, help us go forward. We need you to help us keep our leaders 
healthy. Thank you for our governor and the decisions that he's made and the wisdom and the people you put around him. Lord, help him, strengthen him, keep him healthy. And Father, and all of our leaders at every level, please God, this is an hour where we need you and we need one another. So Lord, help us. Help us, I pray. And Lord, we just come to you now in this service and say, Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Whenever a preacher says he's gonna do something short, you need to be suspicious. All right. This is Palm Sunday, and so I'm gonna be reading a text that'll come up on your screen from Matthew chapter 21. The title of the message is Deepening our faith. If you're one that takes notes, deepening our faith, the text, Matthew 21, 7 through 13. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. This event revealed two things. One, right away. Jesus coming into the temple, turning over the tables, quoting scripture, revealed the corrupt the corruption that was going on in the temple and the corrupt leadership that was profiting from those things that were done in the temple. That was exposed that very day. But something else was exposed in just a a week later. And that is the shallowness of the faith of the crowd. The crowd is very sincere. This is Jesus. Hosanna. We worship him. We believe in him. They were not insincere. It was just a very shallow faith. Because a week later, the Bible says that the the priests stirred up the crowds. And they began asking for Barabbas. and, And Pilate said, what shall we do with Jesus? And this crowd started saying, crucify him. Crucify him. It's not that they didn't have faith. It's not that they were insincere on Palm Sunday. It's just that faith did not go very deep. Jesus wants to deepen our faith. So let's look at these points. Point one, Jesus is filled with zeal for the Father's house. 
So the reason why people believe that Jesus' ministry was three and a half years or somewhere in there is because there are four Passovers recorded in the Gospel of John. Now the interesting thing about the first Passover, he had just come from Cana of Galilee where he did his first miracle and right after that his disciples come to Jerusalem because it's Passover. And when they come in to the temple, this is right at the beginning of his ministry, something very similar happens to what he does in the last Passover and he goes into the temple, he turns the tables over and he says, you've made, he doesn't call them thieves this time. He, calls that, he says, you've made it a marketplace. And then verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now you say, Pastor Tom, what does this have to do with us? Jesus turning over these tables in the temple. What does this have to do with us? He did it twice, bookends of his ministry. But why, what is, how does that involve us? Well, 2 Corinthians 6.16 says that today we are the temple of God. We are the temple. And Jesus feels zeal over his father's house. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've asked Christ in your heart, then God has, has taken you up on your prayer and you, have, you are part of the temple now and he has zeal over you and I. Listen to this. This is Exodus thirty four fourteen. You must worship no other gods for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Exodus 34, 14, that's out of the living, New Living Translation. Here's the problem with God. He can't turn it down. It's part of his name. It's part of who he is. He's always burning for this relationship. He created us, he redeemed us to be a house of prayer, to be a place where, of intimacy with God. And he burns for that. He died for this. He wants this. Jesus is committed to making us a house of prayer. Now here is my question for you. Has anybody felt recently like all of the tables have been turned over. Think about the temple that day. Everything's ordered. They've got the money box here. They've got the animals here. They've got lines coming. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes in, and all of a sudden, everything is confusing. There's, there's tables flipped over. There's money everywhere. Animals are running. It is like mass confusion. It sure feels like all the tables are being tipped over in the day that we are living in. I, have been, I go on a prayer walk every morning and I go all the way around our neighborhood and I just, I'm praying the whole time and a lot of my neighbors I've never met because they've never been outside, but I've been meeting them. <laughs> I've been meeting them there because they're outside. They're at home. They're in their, I, I, in, in just the last five days, I've met three different neighbors. And we chat. I, I hear their name. They get my name. We talk about things. And we talk about what's going on. What is, what exactly is going on? I like to ask people questions. And here's the question. You know, 
we have written on our money in God we trust. And I wonder at this time if maybe God is taking our trust out of everything else we've been trusting. Maybe, maybe we haven't been trusting. Maybe we've been trusting everything but God. Maybe we've been trusting money. Maybe we've been trusting government. Maybe we've been trusting ourselves. But even though it's on our, just because it's on our money doesn't mean we're doing it. And maybe, maybe God's shaking everything so that we get back to trust God because I think everybody feels like the answer for our current situation is bigger than us. It's bigger than man. It's bigger than a government. It's bigger than a, a new program. It's, we, need, we need God to do something. And my na- one, one of my neighbors said, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Another one says, you know what? We've actually been talking about that at home. But here's the interesting thing. I told them who I was, and I'm a pastor. I, Would you mind if I prayed for you? And they were more than happy to have me pray for them. They told me what they wanted prayer for. I prayed for them. They they didn't resent that. They said, thank you. Thank you. God is shaking things. He's, He's turning our hearts over. And there's something that he wants at this time. And that's point two. Jesus wants to realign us with God. When the book of Revelation was written, there was a crisis going on, especially in the church. Domitian was the emperor, and there was an empire-wide persecution of Christians, and that is why John is on this island called Patmos. It was a prison. He's on this island on Patmos, and that is where the book is written from. And I just think it's interesting because John is a pastor over a whole bunch of people, but he can't meet with them. He is isolated from them, but God is still with his people, and God has a message for his people through John. And so Jesus comes, and he says that he's got a message that he's going to give John. I don't know how John got it out there, but John got that message out there, but it wasn't John's message. It was Jesus' message. And it was Jesus realigning the church. Every, every church starts with these words, I know. I know the good things you're doing. I know the bad things. I know what's wrong. I know, and I, I know what is going on. I know you. No one else knows you like I know you. You might be able to fake each other. You might be confused even yourself of what's going on in you, but I know you. I know what is going on inside you and around you. And he encourages them. In all seven churches, he gives an encouragement, and then he gives an adjustment. Here's where you're out of line. And the, and the word is repent. Repent. I'm, I'm, I'm using this time to bring you back into alignment. So we're not going to talk about all seven churches. I'm only going to talk about two of them. The first one is Ephesus, and I'm going to read Revelation 2, 2 through 5. Jesus says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. 
You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So I just had a two-month sabbatical. Our elders give us a, a, a two-month sabbatical every seven years. And um, going into this sabbatical, I knew that something wasn't right. I knew, I'm very busy, speaking everywhere, but I knew, and I told my wife this, I told our pastors, I need to go up the mountain again. I need to get something fresh. I need, I need to climb up. I need to have God encounter me in a fresh way. If I don't have something fresh, I can't give something fresh. And I just, I just started to feel like I was becoming an echo. The Bible says that John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness. I believe this. You get your voice in the wilderness. It is when you are alone. It's when you encounter God. It's when you and God have it out in that lonely place where God meets with you and you discover what your voice is and what God's voice is through you and what the message is through you and what happens oftentimes in our culture. God's calling us to be a voice, but oftentimes we become an echo. Many, many in our culture are just an echo of what other people are saying and something they read and a book that they read. And I, I don't, I'm never worried about becoming an echo of other people. What I become an echo of is my, my own past experiences. <laughs> that I, I've got lots of encounters with God and lots of burning times with God. And so there's like this treasure. I can, I can, I can bring those things and, and bring them to, to bear. And I've got lots of things that I can, can get by with as a pastor, but God was God. God made it very clear to me, Tom. You, you're stepping up into the pulpit instead of stepping down. And here's what I mean by that: Whenever my life, and I know I'm going to speak. I take speaking very, very seriously. Whenever I feel like I have to step up to the pulpit, and God, please help me. Please anoint me. Please give me something. And He's been very faithful to do that. But God's plan was not for me to step up to the pulpit. He wants me to step down. He wants the main event to be me and him, intimacy with him, that I am walking in the spirit, that I am filled with him, that I'm filled with his glory, that I am delighting my heart in the Lord. And oh yeah, I've got to speak now. Okay, I'll step down from that, the, the real price, to now minister from that place so that it is overflow. So I was on a mission to meet with God. I started at the beginning of this year reading a book by A.W. Tozer called The Knowledge of the Holy. I've read the book several times. It's one you need to pick up every couple of years, but it's on the attributes of God. It's who God is in himself. Who God is apart from what he's going to do for us or what he's done for us or what he's promised to us. It's not about us. It's about him. Lord, I want, I want, I want to see you. I want to seek your face. Bring me higher. During the, during the sabbatical, I've been studying revival, and I was reading this out of one of the, the books. I was reading about Jonathan Edwards. And here was the quote. This is from John Piper, who, who's been a student of Jonathan Edwards. The greatest thing I've ever learned from Jonathan Edwards 
I think, is that God is glorified not most by being known, nor by being dutifully obeyed. He is glorified most by being enjoyed. I read that and I just started, tears just started flowing. Because somewhere along the line in all of my busyness and all of my messages and all of my passion to lead and to do the right thing and, and to, to, to have integrity, somewhere I lost the, just the pure joy of being his first love. I want you to do the deeds that you did at first. They were doing a lot of stuff. They were persevering in those deeds. They were busy all the time. What does he mean, do the deeds you did at first? He means this, I want you to do the deeds the way you used to do them. You used to not notice your sacrifice. You used to not notice the difficulties because you were so enjoying and honored to just be mine. So, I come back to a life verse of mine. This is Hebrews, or um, Hosea verse 2, verse 14 and 16. God is speaking. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband you will no longer call me my master. I'm going to allure her. I'm going to draw her into a lonely place, into a, a desperate place, into a barren place. And the reason why is not to punish her or to scold her, but to speak tenderly to her. I want to encounter her with my tenderness. And in that day, where you experience my tender voice and dealing in the place of hardship and loneliness, in that day, you will fundamentally be changed in how you understand me. You'll no longer call me master. You, you will call me husband. And the Lord's made it very clear to me how I'm supposed to pastor this church. I am not supposed to be the Bible answer man. I'm not supposed to be God's public relations man. I am supposed to lead this church from the place of carrying God's fragrance of intimacy. I'm supposed to have that fragrance resting on me as I lead other people because the real pastor, the real leader isn't me, it's Jesus. And, and the greatest thing I can do is help people to get into that relationship. It's not about following me, it's about following him. All right, let's get to our second church, last church we're going to look at. It's the church at Smyrna. Jesus begins by saying this, I know your afflictions and your poverty. And I want you to know this. Whatever afflictions you're experiencing in this time, he knows them. Whatever, if, you're, if you're at home and sick or you know somebody that's sick or, or somebody has died and you're going through this horrible time, it's already horrible and now it's even more horrible and, and, and this is happening and that's happening and Jesus wants you to know that he knows. 
He knows what you're going through. He knows your afflictions and he knows your poverty. He knows what your bank account is. He knows how much your 401k has lost. He know, he's got those numbers. That's all available to him. He knows us. And here's the word that he speaks to the church at Smyrna. Verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. I want to say a couple of things from this text. Number one, some things in this world are not caused by God. They are allowed by God. God's not going to put them in prison. God's not going to persecute them. He says, the devil's going to do this. He said, but I'm, I'm allowing it. There are some, everything that happens is not what God is doing, but it certainly is what God is allowing. And now in the case of the coronavirus, God does not cause disease, friends. Sickness and disease and viruses are in the world because of the fall. Because of, if you, if you need to blame somebody for this, it w- goes back to the original sin. The fall came, and this world has been groaning ever since. It's the same reason why there's earthquakes and volcanoes and tornadoes. There are viruses. It is part of the test of this current time. God didn't cause it. Well, well couldn't God intervene? Well, yeah, God can intervene, and he, and he did. He said, I'm limited I've limited this to 10 days. I'm sure the enemy wanted to make that time longer. He probably wanted to kill them all. But God said, no, you're going to go through a test, and I've set a limit on it. Therefore, do not despair. This test is not the rest of your life. It's going to last a limited amount of time. So I want to tell you about a time in Israel's history where they needed a word from God. This is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 if you want to study it. Three armies came against Judah all at once. The Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Mayunites. Three armies of vast multitude coming against Judah. Jehoshaphat is the king at that time. If there is one army coming... Then he calls his general and says, man, we need to get the army out there. We need to get the army to meet them. If two armies coming, he calls his general, says, listen, I need you to get ready. And he calls another king and says, listen, we're going to need your army too. But three armies are coming at the same time. So he doesn't call his general at all. He calls the whole nation to a day of fasting and prayer. And they all gather together and Jehoshaphat prays this prayer. And you can see the, the prayer right in scripture. He says, God, we're your people. This is your land. And there's a great multitude. Everything's at risk right now. And we're powerless to do anything about it. But our eyes are on you. And they're waiting. Now, if there's ever been a time that they need to hear from God, it's right then. Three war, three armies coming in. If they lose that war, let me just explain what happens to them if they lose the war. All the men get killed and all the women and children become slaves. 
They need to hear God. They need God to come in their midst. They need something only God can do. They don't need opinions. They, they don't need a sermon. They need to hear God. They, certainly God was speaking personally and comforting them, I'm sure, but they needed like a word for the nation. They needed something that was from God, that was beyond human opinion and statistics and what people thought about stuff. And God spoke in the middle of that one-day fast. The prophet's name is Jehaziel. And here was the word. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. This is not your battle. The battle is the Lord's. Tomorrow, he says, stand firm and go out and face your enemy. The Lord's given you victory. And that word changed everything. Circumstances were exactly the same, but the fact that God had spoken changed everything. Jehoshaphat stands up and he says this the next morning. He says, listen, he says, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And so they want to, they want to agree with God. They want to agree with what God's saying. So the, the, what they, the plan they come up with is they put the worshipers out front. And then this amazing verse As they began to sing, God sent ambushes against the enemies. As they began to sing, as they believed God, as they took up the song, God sent ambushes and won that victory. Just an amazing story. We're in that time right now, aren't we? We're in that time. We've got all kinds of shows. We've got all kinds of opinions. We've got all kinds of blogs. We've got all kinds of, that we should do this, we should do that. There's all kinds of blame out there. Who's to blame for this? And, and what we should do and should do that and don't do that. And, but I think everybody realizes we need something beyond man right now. So I want to tell you about Lou Engel. Lou Engel is a prophetic intercessor. He's got an international ministry for many years. He leads uh, stadium events. There's 20 stadium events called The Send this year scheduled in America. And, uh, but he's really a, an intercessor, a person that, that prays and prophetically is on the wall watching for what God says. And two years ago, Two years ago, Lou Engel set up a 40-day fast for 2020 that would go from March 1st to April 9th. There were three purposes for that fast. One was for revival in the church. One was for the Muslim nations that are very hard to reach with the gospel because God loves Muslims. And the third was for Israel because God loves Israel. And, and once again, hard to reach. And so there was a 40-day fast for evangelism to so the church to get revived and then evangelism to explode to the hardest places in the world. So March 1st comes along and he's got people all over, tens of thousands of people are going on this 40-day fast with Lou. Well, halfway through the fast, um, a call, when I wasn't on that 40-day fast, by the way, I didn't even know about it, but halfway through that fast, there was a call for an, a fast within the fast, 
They were coming up to the 20th day and they called for a separate three-day fast. More believers to join this three-day fast specifically for the coronavirus. To get before God, to fast and pray against the coronavirus and to get before God. And so tens of thousands joined this fast. Alice and I were part of that. And for that Friday night, this is a couple weeks ago, they had a prayer meeting and they had several, several groups zoomed in, but everybody could watch that prayer meeting. And here's what Lou Engel said. He said that morning, the morning of the prayer meeting, he said he woke up and he said his Bible was next to him and God took him right to this verse. It was was open to this verse. It's from Matthew 24. It's lifted out of its context. But here is the word of the Lord. I am going to cut it short for the sake of the elect. That's the word. I'm going to cut it short for the sake of the elect. And Lou immediately knew it wasn't just for Christians, which God loves us and he wants to, but it's for evangelism, for so that more can become elect, more can come into the kingdom, that God was sovereignly going to intervene and cut this thing short. The word of the Lord. So, uh, what do you do with that? Judge it. That's what First Thessalonians 5 says. Whether you like Lou or not, whether you even know Lou or not, test the word. Don't despise prophecy, but test it. Examine it and cling to what is good. And I'm going to ask you to test this word. I believe, I believe it wasn't from Lou Engel. I believe it was from the Holy Spirit. Why, why do I believe it? It's transformed my prayer life. Friends, I start every time, every prayer time now, with God, I thank you in your mercy you're cutting this short. You are cutting this short in your mercy for the sake of the elect. You are cutting this short. I believe it. I believe it. Say, Pastor Tom, uh, really? You're one of those guys? You're, you're ignoring and denying all the statistics and all of the, progress, uh, the, the things the mathemat- mathematicians are saying and the doctors are saying you're one of those guys. Oh no, I've got all those facts. But to, to, get, to get the truth, you've got to have all the facts. And all the facts are not the facts you get on the ground. God speaking is also a fact. And that has to be included. In, in, or you're going to come less than truth. If you only got this side of the facts, then you're not going to get to the truth. Well, Pastor Tom, I don't know why I would even have to believe that because um, we'll all see whether that word was true or not. We know what the progressions are, and if God cuts in and cuts this thing short and saves this thing early, then you know, we'll know at that time. Yeah, you'll know, but the word won't help you at all. See, the atmosphere changed for Israel because they believed the prophetic word. And they started agreeing with what God was doing in worship. And I believe, I believe this is a word from God. I believe it's a word from heaven broken in modern day, in a time of prayer and fasting, that God spoke to one of his prophets and gave us this word, and I want to battle with it. 
I want to worship with it. I want to sing. Folks, this is not time to hide in our closets in fear. This is time to go out and face your enemies. Not outside, but face your fears. And go outside, just don't get into the circle. We, we also obey the government regulations. But it is time that we go out with worship on our lips and in our hearts because God is good. Here's the song they sang. They went out singing, and we have the song. The Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. We're not getting what we deserve. We're getting his mercy instead. He had no obligation to save us, but he chose to in his goodness, and we're going to rejoice in his goodness. We're going to take up his goodness, and we're going to worship him. So don't give in to despair. Oh, then he says again, the prophet said, at, at the, he starts with, don't be discouraged or afraid, and he ends with, don't be discouraged or afraid. So how do you pass the test? Don't be discouraged or afraid. Jesus says, devil's going to put you into, uh, have a, there's going to be a test for 10 days. Do not be afraid. Friends, there is a natural fear that we all have when there is uncertainty. That's just part of this. But there is also a supernatural fear, a demonic fear, a a fear uh, that is spiritual, that when it gets on you, it will control everything. It it shrinks your life. It shrinks your mind. it, It makes you live in this little cage called fear. So I have heard President Trump say at least three times, we are fighting an invisible enemy. What, what's, he, what's he saying? He's saying, America, I need you to believe that there are some enemies you can't see. They're invisible, but I need you to believe in it. I need you to believe in it, and then I need you to change your life around this invisible enemy. We are fighting an invisible enemy. And when he said that, I'm just, I'm just laughing. I'm like, preachers have been saying that for 2,000 years. We're fighting an invisible enemy. And you're not going to win if you don't believe it. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. There is a spirit of fear. And if you do everything out of fear, you're going to empower that thing. And God wants us to be cautious, do the right things, do the things, but don't let that spirit of fear get on you. Stand against it in Jesus' name. He is teaching us how to stand firm and rebuke fear. And, that, and, and you know what, folks? During this test, we, if we learn that, we'll have that the rest of our lives. The, the church at Smyrna is going to learn how to overcome fear. They're, it's bad. It's going, they're going through a bad thing. But they're going to stand against fear, and they're going to have that the rest of their lives. Then he says this, Be faithful. Be faithful, even unto death. God wants to bring us back into alignment with faithfulness to him. I want to read to you from Joel chapter 2. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. 
Have you noticed what we're all doing now all the time? Washing our hands, washing our hands, washing our hands. We're, we're supposed to be clean. We're washing our hands. Do you know what, what I believe God is speaking to his church right now? It's time to clean our hearts. It's time to take cleaning our hearts seriously. Don't just rend your garments. Don't, uh, rending your garments, they, they would do that when they were, uh, as a show of repentance. They would take their garment and they'd rip the garment and they'd put ashes on their head and God's like, guys, uh, uh, no. You need to rend your heart. This isn't about your garments. This is about your heart. This isn't about you having a rend the garments service. This isn't about you singing rend the garment songs. This is not about you, you repeating the rend the garment prayer. They, I need this to be real. I want to go to your heart. I want to readjust your hearts. I want to realign your hearts. I need you to ask questions during this time about your own faith. Maybe your faith has been like the faith of the multitudes uh, when Jesus came in. It's sincere and you're worshiping, but, but there's the, 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 there hasn't been the depth that God wants. And God's saying, I want you to realign I want you to come into agreement with me and I want you to realign your heart this Tuesday night. For City Church, I'm inviting our whole church to fast this Tuesday until prayer meeting. You can eat after prayer meeting, but I'm, I'm inviting you to fast this Tuesday and then to come by Zoom to the Tuesday night prayer meeting from 6.30 to 8. It's called a walk to the cross. We're gonna look at Mary's faith we're going to look at Judas's betrayal, Peter's weakness. We're going to look at Pilate's dilemma, and we're going to look at Jesus' suffering. And I've got five devotionals that I'm going to read. Then a pastor's going to pray over each section. Then there's a song for each section. But at the end of each devotional that I read, there's questions about us, questions about our faith, questions that we don't normally ask. We just keep going on, and we just assume it's good. And God, the Holy Spirit, wants to expose things, not to condemn us, because he wants to take us deeper. He wants to produce things in us that, that weren't there before by his grace. It's a time that Jesus is realigning the church and bringing us back to faithfulness. He is the God who relents from calamity. God wants to relent from calamity. And, and he, he's, call, he's called this fast and this prayer to, because he wants to relent. And who knows if he won't leave a blessing behind. And here's what I believe the blessing God wants to leave behind after this test is over that we're realigned, that we're maybe aligned for the first time, that we're deeper than we have ever been. Here's our part in realigning. I'm almost done. We're gonna have story time. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says this, here am I. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Pastor Tom Jesus just came in and started turning tables over it when he was on earth. Why doesn't he do that with us? He doesn't. He just knocks at the door. He has allowed our economy to be turned over. He's allowed life circumstance to be turned over, but he won't do that for you. He'll just knock. He'll just knock. He, he uses stuff to get our attention, but to be aligned, you've got to say, Jesus, please come in. Come in. Come in. He says, those who I love, I discipline. Be zealous and repent. All right. 
So I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and I'm going to read a story, and then uh, they are going to do one song. During that song, I'm going to encourage you, if you haven't already done this, to get communion ready for your house. Because after that song is over, we're going to take, I'm going to have a prayer of alignment for all of us, and then we are going to receive communion together, and we want you to be part of that. So here we go. Story time. I promise this. Here we go. Story time with Pastor Tom. There was once a man who was both wealthy and good. He and his beloved wife had stores worldwide and were known to be generous and caring employers. They knew all of their workers by name, took care of their present needs, and had an incredible retirement plan for them. When she became pregnant, they were overjoyed. But when she gave birth tragedy struck. She lost her life as she gave birth to a son. The man, who was now a father, didn't resent his son, but valued him all the more. He knew he would see his wife again in heaven, but felt he could also see her in this son who she gave her life for. As the son grew up, he was the delight of his father. They ate three meals a day together and talked about everything. There was no question his son asked about his mom or himself that he did not answer. Sometimes he would take his son on business trips with him because he wanted his son to learn the business and to learn his heart for their employees. He made it clear to his son that this empire belonged to the family and that his desire was for his son to be in partnership with him. The son felt so honored and blessed to be carrying his father's name and to be born into such opportunity. But then something happened in the relationship. The son started missing meals, and even though he came, even those he came to weren't the same. Even though they shared the same house, they rarely had heart-to-heart talks anymore. Whenever the father brought this up, the son assured his father that he still loved him, but he was busy. The problem got so bad that almost all of the son's communication came when he needed something. Dad, I need money. Dad, I need the car. Dad, I need you to go shopping for these things I need. When the son was at home, he was usually watching TV in his room. And when he came to meals, it seemed like he was constantly looking at his phone. But most of the time, he wasn't home. He was out with friends. He no longer asked questions and no longer seemed interested in the family business. When the father asked him a question, he was often forced to repeat it because the son was so distracted. The father was sad at what was lost, and he was sad that his son didn't even seem to realize what was lost. This was the opposite of the joy he had shared with his wife. So one day, he took action. Son, he announced one morning before breakfast, you're grounded. What do you mean by that? The son asked, seeing how serious his father was. You can't go anywhere for the foreseeable future. I want you to stay at home, the father said firmly. You can't do that to me, 
the son said with defiance. Yes, I can. I'm your father, said the man calmly. I want you to take time to rethink the direction of your life. You're mean, accused the son, and stomped off to his room and slammed the door. At first, the son refused to come to meals and just ate in his room with the TV blaring. But finally, he softened. He started looking at old scrapbooks and thought again of his mom. He started coming to meals again and asking questions, and pretty soon, the meals were the highlight of his day. One day, the father told him he wasn't grounded anymore, and the son was shocked by his own response. Father, thank you for grounding me, he said. I feel like I had lost something that has now been regained. Would you please forgive me for my bad attitude at the beginning? The father smiled and said, Of course. After a moment, the son asked, what if I lose what I've regained again now that I have my freedom? The father put his hand on his son's shoulder and looked right into his eyes. As long as you make our meals together a priority, you will protect the joy of our relationship. What the son then said was surprising even to himself because he knew in his heart it was the truth. Father, Please promise me that if I ever get off track in the future, you will ground me again. The end. 